Is China falling towards second place? India seems on track to surpass the world's most populous nation. That's after China's number fell for the first time in decades, by 850,000 people to 1.41 billion in 2020. But what makes it such a big deal? China is facing an aging population and dwindling workforce. What's more, COVID-19 is still running rampant through the nation. And China's borders are now open for international travel. As experts call out lacking transparency, how will it impact life in the West? And what's to come for China as its virus death toll grows? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. At a time when the world is watching China's pandemic losses, the country has announced its first population decline in decades. Here's the latest. The National Bureau of Statistics reported Tuesday that the country had 850,000 fewer people at the end of 2022 than the previous year. That left a total of just over 1.4 billion people with 9.5 million births against 10.4 million deaths. It wasn't immediately clear if the population figures have been affected by the COVID-19 outbreak, but experts find China's statistics not reliable. Yifu Xian is a demographer and expert on Chinese population and trends at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Based on his research, he said China's population has actually been declining since 2018. According to Yi, China's real demographic crisis is beyond imagination and that all of China's past economic, social, defense and foreign policies were based on faulty demographic data. Now, the last time China is believed to have recorded a population decline was during the time of the Great Leap Forward movement. That was a disastrous drive launched by Mao at the end of the 1950s for collective farming and industrialization. Some Chinese residents say they are reluctant to have more children. That's as the country sees its first population decline in six decades. Let's take a look. I think firstly, the cost to raise a child now is too high, from when they are little to when they go to school, then when they look for a job in the future, get married and have their own children. The cost is too high. We currently don't have any plans to have a second child. Lee's wife echoes his point of view, adding they already have more family responsibilities as part of the only child generation. We have four parents combined between us. We also have grandparents. We need to take care of at least four elderly people. Now authorities are encouraging us to have three children. We simply can't afford it. Another Beijing resident says he'd like to have a child, but must be in a stable financial situation first. When I had the financial means, I would want to have a child so I can provide a good life for my child. I won't just have a child just for the sake of having one. The over 800,000 population drop marks an historic turn in China. It's expected to signal the start of a long period of decline. Long term, United Nations experts see China's population shrinking by over 100 million by 2050, more than triple the decline of their previous forecast in 2019. China's demographers say the country will likely get old before it gets rich. The population drop is also primed to slow the economy. That's as revenues plunge and state debt increases, with authorities shelling out to care for an aging population. Among young Chinese in their 20s and 30s, a saying has gained popularity and started trending on social media. That is the lying flat, or do-nothing approach. The trend means lowering personal luxuries to a minimum, with followers opting not to work or buy real estate, while avoiding shopping and choosing not to get married or have kids. 
Overall, it's a state of sustaining a person's existence at the lowest level. A viral video seems to highlight the cost of living predicament in China. Shared to Chinese social media, the clips show people who appeared to be police officers, forcing a couple to relocate to a quarantine facility. The officers threatened the couple, saying if they don't comply, they would be punished for the next three generations. In response, the young man calmly says, we are the last generation. Thank you. It's unclear how much of a toll the COVID-19 pandemic has on China's population. That's due to what many call a lack of transparency on data coming out of China. But some unusual numbers have brought the true scale of the pandemic's death toll under suspicion. One example came in 2020, when China's biggest cell phone carriers reported losing 21 million subscriptions. That's in just the first two months of that year, when the pandemic first hit China. In contrast, users increased during the same period of time in 2017, 2018 and 2019. The sharp decline over the span of two months is unusual, as Chinese citizens use their phones for pretty much everything. From cashless payments to settling rent and transportation costs, some users do have multiple cell phone accounts, but it's shy of explaining the 21 million number. The current outbreak in China is also considered heavily underreported. Over the weekend, a resident in China disclosed on social media that all four of his grandparents, as well as his mother and father, had all passed away. Being an only child, he explained he's now alone. Looking at another clip, last week a Shanghai resident took video of caskets lining the city streets, stretching for several miles. In China, some doctors are saying they've been instructed on how to certify COVID-19 deaths. Amid what some experts are calling a peak of Beijing's COVID-19 wave, hospitals are posting out a notice. Citing a directive from China's National Health Commission, the post says doctors should try not to list COVID-19 on death certificates. Instead, they must report related cases to their superiors for inspection by authorities. That's before they can decide on what cause of death to confirm on the certificates. Several doctors in other Chinese hospitals said they received similar instructions, either verbally or via hospital policy announcements. A doctor from Shanghai shared an article online earlier this month. In it, he said he was asked to change the cause of death on a certificate from COVID-19 to something else. He explained he didn't want to alter it in front of the patient's family and started questioning the official directive on COVID-19 deaths. And over in California, a now U.S. resident from China says he's endured the death of multiple family members. All of them died during the current virus surge in Beijing. He said his grandmother and uncle-in-law had tested positive for COVID-19 before they died. While his father, father-in-law and uncle died of heart disease, asthma and lung infection. None of them were entered into China's official COVID-19 death count. China's borders are now open, but few Chinese tourists are traveling to the U.S. and other Western countries. Flight shortages, route approvals and COVID-19 testing rules are posing barriers to airline sales. Here's more on what's happening. Chinese airports are bustling as people head home for the Lunar New Year holidays. But international terminals are getting busier too as the country reopens to travelers from abroad. That should spell good news for the world's airlines, 
Booking site Expedia says searches for flights to China doubled after the reopening was announced. But industry experts aren't so sure that Western carriers will see quick benefits. Adding new flights to the country requires regulatory approval, which may be slow to come at a time of US-China tensions. Right now, United Airlines can only fly four times a week from the US to mainland China. Back in January 2019, it operated 584 services to the country. American Airlines and Delta are both taking a cautious approach to rebuilding routes to China. For now, that all leaves capacity running short of demand, with predictable effects on ticket prices. Data firm Ford Keys says airfares from China are now 160% up on pre-health crisis levels. That could mean profit for airlines with seats to sell, but pain for hopeful travelers. Federal prosecutors in Brooklyn dropping their case against one of New York's finest. The New York Police Department officer had been accused of acting as a foreign agent on behalf of the Chinese regime. The officer is an ethnic Tibetan and naturalized U.S. citizen. He served as a U.S. Army reservist and was granted a so-called secret-level security clearance. His arrest came in September 2020. According to prosecutors, the officer reported on the activities of Chinese citizens in New York and helped access intelligence sources. He also gave Chinese officials access to senior NYPD officials through event invitations. Based on court documents, he told his Beijing handler that he sought NYPD promotions so he could assist the Chinese regime and bring, quote, glory to China. He had faced up to 55 years in jail if found guilty. Prosecutors filed a motion Friday asking a federal judge to dismiss the indictment. They said an investigation had led to additional information bearing on the charges. A U.S. delegation is in Taiwan this week. Lawmakers are there to negotiate a text of a trade agreement after the first round of talks happened in November. The multi-focused agreement will cover areas like anti-corruption standards, small and mid-side business trade, regulation and facilitating trade. As talks continue, the U.S. and Taiwan may reveal standalone deals on some of these topics as they reach agreements. Other more involved areas like agriculture and digital trade are expected to need more time. The new trade initiative came after the island was excluded from the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. That's the deal President Joe Biden launched in May 2022 with 13 other nations, aimed at countering Beijing's influence in the region. Taiwan is known for producing most of the world's most cutting-edge microchips. The tiny devices are a key factor in the growing tech competition between Washington and Beijing. An agreement may be reached by the end of this year. South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol said Monday that a return to nuclear power is necessary. This to meet his nation's efforts to be carbon neutral by 2050. Let's take a look. Yoon made the comments at a summit in the United Arab Emirates. The country's leader, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed, was in attendance. Yoon underlined Seoul's commitment to nuclear power as it works to finish the Arabian Peninsula's first atomic power plant. That could see South Korea in line for lucrative maintenance contracts and future projects in the UAE. 
Seoul has grown closer to the country in recent years. Yoon's predecessor, President Moon Jae-in, sought to move South Korea away from nuclear power. This amid safety and graft scandals and Japan's 2011 Fukushima nuclear disaster. Korea has also declared its 2050 carbon neutrality goal. To achieve this goal, we are working to rapidly restore the nuclear power system, which supplies carbon-free electricity and boost the supply of clean energy such as renewable energy and hydrogen energy. The $20 billion Baraka nuclear power plant, Seoul's first attempt to build atomic reactors abroad, will one day account for nearly a quarter of all of the Emirates' power needs. Sweden has found the largest rare earth deposit in Europe. The resource trove could help reduce Europe's reliance on China for the critical minerals. Swedish state-owned mining company LKAB announced the news last Friday. The discovery was made in the country's far northern city of Karuna. Rare earth minerals are vital to many high-tech manufacturing processes. They're used in cell phones, electrical cars and other consumer electronics and weapons. Without rare earth minerals, modern life would be impossible. But China dominates the market, which accounts for 60 percent of global production. The European Union gets almost all of its rare earth minerals from China, with none of them mined in Europe. Sweden's Minister for Energy, Business and Industry said in a statement that electrification, the European Union's self-sufficiency and independence from Russia and China will begin in the mine. A leading German tech company is upping its bets on China. That's despite Berlin's warning against over-reliance on Beijing. Bosch said it plans to invest $1 billion to build a plant in an eastern Chinese city. The facility would focus on developing and manufacturing parts for new energy vehicles and autonomous driving technology. The first phase of the new plant is set to be completed by mid-2024. The chairman of Bosch said the plant is crucial for the company, as China is the world's largest auto market. The decision was made amid the energy crisis facing Europe. Bosch has been operating in China for nearly 115 years, with around 50,000 employees currently working in the country. The Chinese Communist Party promised common prosperity for its people. But is it truly happening? A notice from a city in southeastern China may shed some light on the issue. Listed on the notice are the city's basic pension payouts for January. Beneficiaries fall into three categories. Retirees of the CCP's state organs, those of general companies, and rural or low-income residents. Here are some calculations based on that data. For the first category, a total of around $10 million was granted to 13,000 people, meaning an average of $750 per person per month. For the second category, over $26 million were distributed to 75,000 people, or $350 per person. But for rural or low-income seniors, more than 130,000 people should the equivalent of $4 million. This leaves about $30 for each recipient. As a comparison, this figure is only 1 25th of the amount received by a retired Communist Party official. Coming up, a look at China's contradicting COVID-19 numbers. And we have a country that apparently uh, prefers to save face rather than tell the truth and cooperate fully with the international community. 
we spoke to Dr. Scott Atlas, senior fellow at the Hoover Institution of Stanford and former advisor for the White House Coronavirus Task Force for his take on virus policy in the U.S. and China. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. China's official COVID-19 death toll is now about 60,000. But a study from Peking University estimated around 900 million infection cases, with around 80 percent of them showing severe symptoms. We spoke to Dr. Scott Atlas, senior fellow at the Hoover Institution of Stanford and former advisor of the White House Coronavirus Task Force for his take on it and more. Well, I think that we all know we cannot trust the numbers coming out of China. They didn't make sense in the beginning, even though there were reports of a lot of cremations, for instance, and implying death, there were no death numbers coming out. So it's it's very difficult to uh, figure out what's going on when there is no transparency. And we have a country that apparently uh, prefers to save face rather than tell the truth and cooperate fully with the international community. On that part, doctor, it seems if we look at, say, how countries calculate the death toll, right? In America, it was everyone who tested positive for the virus and then died was counted as a COVID death, whereas in China, it's only those who have pneumonia or respiratory failure are counted as COVID. So. Why are there such big differences in how countries calculate deaths? Is it from a medical perspective or a more political? What's your take on this? Well, this is a very important uh, fact when people are comparing countries with COVID. This was known back in 2020 and was published by the RAND Institute and many others. But the RAND Institute did a study showing that there were very significant differences among countries with the way they were testing, who was tested, whether they were just testing more symptomatic people or asymptomatic people. Uh, they were also uh, showing there were differences in what type of testing was done. If a, if a PCR threshold uh, was done that was uh, very high, that would mean there's a lot of sensitivity to the test, even detecting dead virus, for instance, that's not contagious. And that differed country to country. There were differences in the way people were categorized as COVID hospitalizations, as you alluded to. And the data showed this back in 2021 in the United States alone. Hospitals here were, were putting somebody as a COVID hospitalization based simply on the test being positive. And since we were testing everyone who was hospitalized, you were categorizing a lot of people for COVID hospitalization when they had no symptoms of COVID. This was shown in data from California in two different studies in 2021, that about a half or even 85% of COVID positive patients categorized as COVID were not symptomatic with COVID. They were symptomatic with something else. COVID had nothing to do with them being hospitalized. This was in uh, children. And then finally, the fourth point, as you mentioned, is that deaths from COVID 
also are not categorized correctly or consistently country to country. In many countries, particularly in the United States, but elsewhere to some extent, they were categorizing people as having died from COVID when they only died be, uh, by something else and they had a positive test for COVID. That's obviously not a COVID death. And we know this is true based on even the CDC data alone themselves said that about a 35% of uh, deaths from COVID, 35% in the CDC data alone, uh, that were in people under 18 had nothing to do with COVID. There were no symptoms of COVID. That was a chart review. So it's very difficult to compare deaths from COVID country to country because of all of these variations. Doctor, on your last point about age, there's a piece from Nikkei Asia titled Analysis, China's Elderly Pay Ultimate Price for COVID Missteps. So why is the regime maybe doing these, you know, zero COVID lockdowns or keeping treatments if they're made from other countries? What's what is happening here? Why is the elderly population so hard hit? Well, it's hard hit because the you know two thirds of deaths in from from data that we can judge uh, more better than China's data, two thirds of deaths in the West were people who were over 65. Two thirds, no, 80 percent of deaths. I'm sorry, 80 percent of deaths in people over 65, and two thirds of deaths were in people with greater than or equal to six underlying illnesses. So the high risk profile is an old person who's frail, an old person with underlying illness. Now, if you look at China's population, they have the a really very, very uh, dangerous demographic in their country for this illness because they have an enormous population of older people and a very large percentage of their population is very old. So we would expect uh, that they will have a, a very, very tragic loss of life in their population because they have so many elderly. And of course, just to point out to the people watching, China uh, did, you know, what many people, what many countries uh, did in failure of the COVID response, complete failure of recognizing the basic fact that locking down does not eliminate the virus. And so, uh, they, they unfortunately believed in pseudoscience, just like many of the leaders in the United States and elsewhere. It didn't understand uh, that there was an age discrepancy, didn't understand that low risk, uh, that younger people and young adults had very low risk from COVID, particularly healthy people who were younger. And instead, they locked everybody down instead of doing a lot of protection, specifically of the high-risk population, which are the older, frail people. They should have done targeted protection from the beginning. And doctor, going back to earlier, how you mentioned to, you know, the lack of transparency from China's side has been in the spotlight a lot. What would actual transparency from China look like? What would that be? Well, I mean, we, we really needed uh, two, two, two and a half, three years ago, but we even need it now a complete uh, transparency to their records in the Wuhan lab. Uh, there is no, uh, th there's a great deal of uh, information that suggests that the lab was the origin of the virus. We don't know that, that's not proven to my knowledge. 
But uh, we need to find that out because we need to know what research was being done if indeed the lab was the source of the virus, because we can't have something like this happen again. We had a massive worldwide enormous death and uh, damage from this. The human toll is really sinful what happened if this came out of a lab. Secondly, we need cooperation uh, with all the genetic uh, information that they had from the beginning. Of course, this was withheld. Uh, having committees visit uh, that are under the World Health Organization that have people who were actually funding re research or working on research in China, uh, that, that's just not transparency. I think there's been a really uh, harmful to the public good lack of transparency by not just China, but the World Health Organization, and by people, including Dr. Fauci in the United States, who insisted that China was being transparent, which of course was a just so wrong. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.